Hello, and welcome to the African American Hour. I'm Rosemarie Ankwe, bringing you greetings from the following publications The Sun, The Root, Community Voice, News One, Blavity, Associated Press, Ebony, CNN, and The Undefeated. Today, I'll begin with an article from The Undefeated titled, Discovering the Meaning Behind My Family's New Year's Day Tradition. The history of Watch Night and the Emancipation Proclamation makes the holiday special. This is a commentary by Mariah Lee, December 30th, 2021. When I was growing up, my grandparents fled the gloom of the Pacific Northwest every Christmas for the sun and sandy beaches in Hawaii. While we rarely experienced opening presents or holding hands around the dinner table with them on Christmas Day, they always returned for January 1st, New Year's Day. My grandparents never missed. Of course, they made sure they arrived with enough time for my grandmother to prepare all the food, chicken and dumplings, North Carolina barbecue, collard greens, mac and cheese, chitlins, and of course, black-eyed peas. All were on the table at the New Year's Day gathering my grandparents hosted every year at their home in a small town of Stilacum, Washington, S-T-I-L-A-C-O-O-M, southwest of Tacoma. Celebrating on New Year's Day is a tradition that has been passed down through generations in African-American households. At 87, my maternal grandmother, Ella Turner, still spends days preparing our sacred meal, the same meal her grandmother prepared. When I was about eight or nine years old and too young to do very much, my grandmother, my father's mother, used to let me help in the kitchen. That's how I learned to cook. She'd let me peel potatoes or do small things in the kitchen with the adults. So as a result, I learned to carry on a lot of things that we did, she told me. I spoke to her, my oldest living relative, ahead of our celebrations this year. That has been going on as long as I can remember, the New Year's Day dinner that we would have, she said. Unlike with Christmas, she recalled as a child that her extended family would travel from far distances to her grandmother's house in Wilson, North Carolina. There, they would spend the entire day eating and fellowshipping. When I grew up, it was like an all-day thing. It wasn't like being together for two or three hours. It was just like an open day, my grandmother recounted. Though she left Wilson after graduating from high school, my grandma continued on with her family's practice wherever she set foot. When I asked about the origins of the celebration, she replied, well, this goes back to slavery. New Year's Day dinner was what we did, and it was for tradition. Until this last year, this was the extent of my understanding of the history of New Year's Day celebrations. Black folk gathered on the first of the year because it was tradition. Now I know that reasoning is incomplete. I recently talked to my only sibling, Marshall Lee, and my father, Robert Lee, about New Year's Day, as each of us has had our own journey to discovering the history our foremothers were unable to pass down. 
I asked my older brother what New Year's signals to him, and he responded, I guess three things come to mind. Grandma Turner, soul food, especially chitlins, and then also for the longest time, not knowing why it was such a big deal. As kids, we knew celebrating on New Year's Day was intrinsically Black. We knew the foods we ate were the same foods our ancestors ate during slavery. We knew taking unwanted, disregarded food items and turning them into something exquisite was symbolic of Black culture. What we didn't know, however, was why our kin celebrated when our white friends' families did not. My aha moment was this past year, my brother said. He was listening to a podcast in the days leading up to Juneteenth, a holiday that commemorates the end of slavery. On June 19, 1865, Union troops freed African Americans in Galveston, Texas, who had been illegally enslaved for more than two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. They talked about the history of Juneteenth, which I was already familiar with, but then they brought up the history of New Year's. Both holidays are celebrations of emancipation, which I had no idea. Throughout slavery, January 1st was hiring day. Human beings were auctioned, bought, and leased annually on the first of the year, commonly known as Heartbreak Day. Husbands were sold from their wives, and mothers were torn from their children. The Emancipation Proclamation went into effect on January 1st, 1863. The executive order granted freedom for enslaved people held in Confederate states, turning one of the most dreaded days of the year, a day that had been associated with the severing of families into one that was the most revered. Learning that gatherings on New Year's Day grew out of celebration of freedom and being together profoundly changed the way my brother viewed the holiday. I was like, oh my God, this is huge. This is why it's a big deal. This is why, in Grandma's mind, it's bigger than Christmas, he said. Incomplete explanations were part of my dad's experience, too. My 54-year-old father recounted the holiday of his youth. We had traditional African-American food, but no one really went into depth to explain why we ate what we ate. It was just there, he told me. It wasn't until I got older that I realized that Black people would say, that you had to have collard greens on New Year's Day because that would bring financial success. The greens represented money, and you had to have black-eyed peas on New Year's Day because that brought you good luck. Those things came in later, he said. Black-eyed peas, traditionally included in the dish known as Hopping John, are the signature feature of New Year's Day dinner. The black-eyed pea originated in Central Africa before making its way to the Carolinas in the early 1700s. In West Africa, it was regarded as a symbol of luck. Not only was my dad not taught the significance of New Year's Day dishes, he was unaware of the tie the gathering had to Emancipation Day or to the significance of the previous night, Watch Night. On September 22nd, 1862, President Lincoln issued an ultimatum to the Confederate States. The preliminary Emancipation Proclamation declared that if the Confederacy did not surrender and rejoin the Union 
slaves held in rebellious states would be free on January 1st, 1863. For more than two months, enslaved folks waited to see if Lincoln would follow through on his threat. Many feared that at the last second, the president would compromise with Southern states and not sign the document. The night of December 31st, free and enslaved African-Americans gathered in churches and homes across the country, waiting for Lincoln to act. Folks prayed, sang, and counted down the time in what came to be known as Watch Night or Freedom's Eve. In South Carolina, black folks traveled long distances to congregate in the hours leading up to midnight. Many black families and individuals met at Camp Saxton in Port Royal, South Carolina, to hear the Emancipation Proclamation read, because rumor had it that if you weren't there to hear it, you might not have been freed. I probably didn't have a full appreciation for Watch Night until my 40s, my father told me. History classes never taught us about the particulars of how black people were freed, and we pretty much grew up thinking that the day that Lincoln delivered his address, the Emancipation Proclamation, Black people just walked off the plantation and were assembled into society. We didn't know anything about Juneteenth or any other day. The story of emancipation of my ancestors is complicated. The Emancipation Proclamation only freed slaves in the Confederate states that were currently rebelling and not already under Union control. Therefore, enslaved people in the border states and in the areas held by the North were not freed by Lincoln's decree. Even in the places where the order did apply, its enforcement wasn't guaranteed. Slaveholders often pretended that the law didn't exist and continued enslaving people as was the case in Galveston. The abolishment of chattel slavery in the United States didn't come until 1865, more than two years after Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation when the 13th Amendment was ratified into law. That history doesn't come in a neat package. When it's not taught in a classroom or handed down by elders, black folks are faced with piecing together the history of their ancestors. Despite majoring in history in college, I was only able to assemble a complete picture of New Year's Day after my dad and brother relayed their revelations to me years after my studies. My dad described how this process of discovery is ongoing and that he continues to put together stories he wasn't formally taught, stories that came between the lines. His appreciation for Watch Night only occurred a few years ago after he remarried and joined a new church. It wasn't until I became a member of New Hope that I recognized the significance of Watch Night, he said. Along with a number of African-American churches, Seattle's New Hope Missionary Baptist Church hosts a Watch Night service annually on New Year's Eve. It's not my exclusive way of celebrating New Year's. I still long to go somewhere where there's a big party and you're dropping the ball and all that but I can no longer be ignorant of the significance to our people, he said. New Year's Day has always held meaning. Watching my grandmother spend days cleaning chitlins, seeing my grandfather 
risked his high blood pressure to eat the heavily salted North Carolina-style pork. And witnessing every family member participate in our ritual of sharing what we seek to accomplish in the upcoming year. With the addition of historical knowledge, our tradition becomes even more treasured. My brother confessed, I guess for a while, New Year's did kind of seem like an obligation, like, ugh, I can't get too drunk on New Year's Eve because I have to be at grandma's tomorrow. But now, it's like this emotional meaning that's just deeper than families. It's history. Maria Lee is a professional athlete and freelance writer. She holds a BA from Stanford University and an MS from the Wake Forest School of Business. This article was titled, Discovering the Meaning Behind My Family's New Year's Day Traditions, a commentary by Mariah Lee, The Undefeated, December 30th, 2021. The next article is titled, Missouri Offering Free at Home COVID-19 Tests by The Community Voice, December 30th, 2021. If you live in Missouri and can't find an appointment for a COVID-19 test, the state is offering free at-home PCR COVID-19 tests that can be shipped directly to you. The at-home test can detect the Omicron variant. Here's how to order yours. Missouri residents can order tests at https semicolon forward slash forward slash health.mo.gov slash living slash health con diseases slash communicable slash novel coronavirus slash community slash test php hashtag self dash collection. If the site tries to charge you, use the letters M-O-P-R-O-M, M-O-Promo, Mo-Promo, for it is to be free. After self-collection by easy-to-follow instructions with a nasal swab, the kit is returned to a laboratory free of charge via Federal Express. You must provide an email address in order to receive the test results. Once ordered, the kit arrives in two days. The kit is good for six months. Once the sample has been collected, it must be packaged in the prepaid FedEx shipping envelope, according to directions, and returned to a FedEx collection site within 24 hours. You can only request one testing kit at a time, and you can only receive another after submitting your first test to a state lab. This article is titled, Missouri Offering Free at Home COVID-19 Test by the Community Voice staff, December 30th, 2021. The next article is titled, Group Reviewing with Focus on Wichita Black Professional Development by Malcolm Carter, the Community Voice, January 6, 2022. Wichita Urban Professionals, ICT UP has begun revitalizing its program around its mission of developing and maintaining a network of Black leaders in Wichita. What began as an idea of Jonathan Long 
a Wichita transplant, and a few friends in 2013, has developed into a growing professional network for Black leaders aged 25 to 40 to share ideas, obtain professional development training, and collaborate to overcome many of the challenges the Black community faces. Jonathan, like many other young African-American professionals, looked for a support network of people that looked like them, said Danielle Johnson, executive director of Wichita Habitat for Humanity and ICT-UP's Networking Squad's chairperson. ICT-UP creates a space where they can find each other and share common experiences as well as build their networks. The structure of ICT-UP allows members to choose their level of involvement. By joining one of five squads, members can support the group in developing programs and events. Additionally, members can choose to participate in programs that fit their schedules and personal and professional objectives. The five squads each take on different tasks, reflecting the ICT-UP pillars. The Leadership Squad, headed by Johnson, Long, and the other squad chairs, oversees and guides ICT-UP's mission and vision. This squad serves as the top of the reporting structure, and participation is by appointment only. The networking squad is responsible for creating and executing ICT-UP's dynamic social networking opportunities for Black professionals to engage further and build relationships throughout the greater business community. The professional development squad aims to connect larger organizations, boards, etc., to a strong network of Black professionals to help them develop new skills, stay up to date on current trends, and advance their career. The Community Outreach Membership Squad maintains ICT-UP's member information and finds ways for them to get involved and build relationships with other organizations through volunteer opportunities. The College Engagement Squad serves as a bridge between ICT-UP and Wichita's various universities. They provide programs focused on mentor matching shadowing, and professional development for college students. ICT-UP is part of the Community Operations Recovery Empowerment, CORE, program, which aims to improve Wichita's economic development, academic success, civic engagement, and family involvement by collaborating with local organizations. Outside of networking and professional development events, ICT-UP is looking to engage the community in ways that will have a long-lasting impact on the next generation of Black leaders in Wichita. With this passion, ICT-UP has sponsored several community events initiatives over the last year and a half, including hosting a panel discussion on increasing Black community civic engagement, including in the city of Wichita's development process with the WSU Office of Engagement. In August, in collaboration with the Kansas African American Museum and the Wichita Public Library, ICT-UP hosted a Jim Crow Strikes Out softball game 
in recognition of the historical 1925 exhibition game between the KKK and the all-black Wichita Monrovians. The collaboration brought a diverse group of Wichitans together for an evening of food, fun, and fellowship at McAdams Park. In 2022, Johnson says each ICT Up Squad will begin hosting more squad-related programming and continue to collaborate with other community organizations. Are you interested in becoming a member? Visit the HTTPS semicolon backslash backslash www.ictup.org for more information about ICT Up and to fill out a membership form. Membership dues are $30 annually and can be paid via Cash App at dollar sign lowercase ICT Up 2. This article is titled Group Reviving with Focus on Wichita Black Professional Development by Malcolm Carter, The Community Voice, January 6, 2022. The next article is titled Every Marvel Studios Project Coming in 2022 by Stephanie Holland, The Root, December 24, 2021. Warning. Spoilers ahead for Spider-Man No Way Home, What If, Loki, and WandaVision. Seriously, if you're not 100% caught up on the MCU, stop listening now. While we're still all on that collective Spider-Man No Way Home high, let's talk about what Marvel Studios has planned in 2022. Between films and Disney Plus series, there's a lot to get excited for. The way Phase 4 has been set up, we clearly have to watch it all. So this is every Marvel Studios project coming in 2022. If you stayed until the end of Spider-Man No Way Home, you got to see the trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. After the events of No Way Home, Strange is still all tangled up with the multiverse and tracks down Wanda for help. Mordo is back to cause more chaos, and he's brought Strange, Supreme, from What If with him. Throughout 2021, we wondered how the TV shows were going to connect to the movies, and it seems that 2022 will give us answers. Will the movie just assume if you watched What If and know Strange, Supreme's backstory, or will there be a quick explainer? No Way Home set the table really nicely for a multiverse of madness. It's just a shame we have to wait until May. From the moment MCU began, fans have been waiting to see Kamala Khan in live action. When Captain Marvel came out, the excitement got to a boiling point. Finally, the studio announced Miss Marvel for Disney+. The series stars newcomer Iman Bellani, as Kamala, the MCU's first Muslim hero, as she gains powers, figures out how to use them, and decides what kind of hero she wants to be. Obviously, we don't know if Brie Lawson's Carol Danvers will appear, but Villani has been confirmed for the Marvel's aka Captain Marvel 2, which is scheduled for release February 2023. Thor, 
Love and Thunder. When we last saw Thor in the Avengers Endgame, he was headed off to find himself with the Guardians of the Galaxy. We don't know what he's up to, but he found time to work out because set photos show Chris Helmsworth back to looking like the Norse god he is. Takia Watiti once again writes and directs as well as appears as Korg. Tessa Thompson is back as Valkyrie and Natalie Portman returns to the franchise as Thor's ex, Jane Foster. She will reportedly take on the mantle of the Goddess of Thunder, like she does in the comics. Moon Knight Oscar Isaac joins the MCU as Mark Spector in Moon Knight. Spector has a dissociative identity disorder, with his other identities playing a role in his vigilante work. Each identity is a separate character, which should allow for a fascinating performance from Isaac. Complicating matters, Spectre is also bonded with the Egyptian moon god Khonshu. We really hope the series provides a chance for the franchise to explore mental illness in the superhero world. Moon Knight signals Marvel's step into its supernatural universe. Combined with Blade and Dane Whitman slash Black Knight, we can't wait to see where this side of the MCU goes. She-Hulk, 2022. Jennifer Walters is a lawyer who happens to be the cousin of Bruce Banner. When she needs a blood transfusion, there are side effects. Tatiana Maslany stars as Jennifer slash She-Hulk. Jamila Jamil is Tatiana, one of She-Hulk's major rivals. Tom Roth, reprises the Incredible Hulk role as Emil Blonsky slash Abomination, and Mark Ruffalo appears as Bruce Banner slash Hulk. Jennifer specializes in cases involving super-powered people, often representing superheroes, so there's always the possibility of fun cameos. And anyone who watched Orphan Black can tell you Maslany is great with multiple characters. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, November 11th. Sequels are hard under the best circumstances, but following up a groundbreaking instant classic without a generational talent leading man is damn near impossible. Unfortunately, that's the difficult task writer slash director, Ryan Coogler, C-O-O-G-L-E-R, must take on with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Though we don't know who will take on the mantle of Black Panther, the leading guess seems to be Shuri. S-H-U-R-I. Of course, we can make strong cases for Mbaku, Nakia, or even Killmonger variant. Plus, there's the added bonus of the film featuring the introduction of Riri Williams slash Ironheart before she gets her own series in 2023. Look, we're going to see this regardless of what news and rumors we hear. It's just a question of how many times. What if season two? We expected WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier to be good. But what if was a surprise in how emotional it was and how connected to the overall universe it is. Just check out the trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We don't know what universe we'll get in season two, 
but we will reportedly see the last episode featuring Gamora defeating Thamos. Secret Invasion 2022. The closer we get to the conclusion of the Infinity Saga, the more fans speculated about what the next major storyline would be. The introduction of the Skrulls led everyone to believe we were headed for Secret Invasion. Turns out, Marvel was saving that for a TV series. Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury, Hobby Smulders' Maria Hill, and Ben Mendelsohn's Talos are joined by franchise newcomers Amelia Clark, Olivia Coleman, and Kingsley Ben Adir. The show is as advertised, following the heroes as they unravel a secret scroll invasion. The major question is whether the story will be contained to the series or will it ripple through the MCU? The Guardians of the Galaxy, holiday special, December 2022. Other than fighting alongside everyone in Avengers, Endgame, then flying off to look for a time-displaced Gamora, it's been a while since we've seen the Guardian of the Galaxy. Before the team returns in their own movie, they'll stop in for a holiday special full of shenanigans. We don't know what to expect, but we imagine there will be over-the-top nonsense and dance parties. Perhaps if we're lucky, we'll get some sort of hint for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is scheduled to release May 5th, 2023. Be sure to follow us throughout the year for premiere dates, trailers, trailer drops, and casting news. This article is titled Every Marvel Studios Project Coming in 2022 by Stephanie Holland, The Root, December 24th, 2021. The next article is titled Show Me the Money. Child tax credits may be extended into 2022 as payments up to $900 could be sent out by H.J. Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S, The Sun, December 28, 2021. Families have grown used to monthly $300 payments through the expanded child tax credit. But in February 2022, there's a chance the long-awaited extension could double payments. However, President Joe Biden's administration is crafting a bill that would return the payment in February with a back payment issued for the missed January installment. Payments worth up to $600 and $900 could be sent to parents in February of 2022 if the government issues back payments to cover January's missed checks. Under the 1.9 trillion coronavirus relief bill signed into law by President Joe Biden in March, families who qualified received $300 a month per child in 2021. But the relief was only planned to last through the end of 2021. President Joe Biden had hoped to renew the child tax credit payments as part of his Build Back Better legislation. The payments would have been extended for another year, giving families up to $3,600 per child. But in order for the Build Back Better legislation to pass, Democrats need all 50 senators to vote in favor. Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat representing West Virginia, 
is a key vote within the evenly divided Senate. Without his support, it becomes increasingly difficult to see a path forward for the legislation. If the Build Back Better legislation were approved, fewer families would receive monthly payments in the new year. Only joint filers that earn a combined total of less than $150 and head of households making less than $112,500 would be receiving a payment. The final round of monthly advanced child tax credit payments went out on December 15th. However, there's still a portion of the expanded credit that qualifying families can expect to get back in 2022. Most families will have received six advance payments worth up to $1,800, but others may have decided to opt out before the first check was issued in July. Other parents may have chosen to stop receiving the advance payments after they already began, just in case their eligibility changed during 2021 to avoid needing to repay the IRS at tax time. Parents that didn't receive advance child tax credits could receive up to $3,600 per child under the age of six when tax returns are filed next year. Families who have a newborn baby in December 2021 will also be able to claim up to $3,600. The amount is up to $3,000 per child for parents with dependents between the ages of 6 to 17. Eligible families who did not receive any advance child tax credit payments can claim the full amount of the child tax credit on their 2021 federal tax return filed in 2022. This article is titled, Show Me the Money. Child tax credits may be extended into 2022 as payments worth up to $900 could be sent out by H.J. Hayes, the U.S. Sun, December 28, 2021. The next article is titled, Five Black Political Leaders Taking Over New York City in 2022 by Christopher Rhodes, Blavity News, January 3rd, 2022. After only a few minutes into 2022, Eric Adams was sworn in as mayor of New York City. Adams is only the second Black person to ever hold that office, stepping into the legacy of David Dinkins, D-I-N-K-I-N-S who ran the city in the early 1990s and who passed away in 2020. Adams' election is part of a larger phenomenon in America's most populated city and one with the country's largest Black population. New York Times editor Mara Gay recently discussed the phenomenon in an article titled The Rise of Eric Adams and Black New York. Indeed, with more Black people in positions of power in the city than ever before, New York appears to be experiencing a political Black renaissance. Here are five of the Black leaders who have taken high-ranking positions in New York City. 
Eric Adams, Mayor. Eric Adams' life, career, and aspirations are marked by contrast. As a teen, he was the victim of horrible police brutality. As an adult, he joined the NYPD, rising to the rank of captain. Earlier in his political career, Adams became a Republican for several years because he said that New York Democrats were too soft on crime, yet won a crowded Democratic primary race on his way to being elected mayor, pledging to both tackle crime and reform the police. As one New York Times profile described him, he has alternatively referred to him as a pragmatic moderate and the original progressive. He claims to take bubble baths with roses and has said he would carry a handgun in church. With several challenging issues facing New York City, COVID, cops, and crime are among the top concerns. Adams will have his work cut out for him. No one knows what to expect from the new mayor quite yet. Some of his pre-inaugural statements, like his support for reinstating solitary confinement, have given progressives pause that Adams' administration will have an authoritarian, conservative streak. Others have applauded the new mayor for appointing a diverse collection of leaders to top positions in the city. Only time will tell which version of Mayor Adams becomes the dominant one for his term as leader of the city. Adrian Adams, New York City Council Speaker. Joining Eric Adams in a key leadership role in New York City is City Councilwoman Adrian Adams, no relation, who defeated challengers to become the first Black person to hold the position of City Council Speaker, legislative body. Though Eric Adams had initially backed one of the rival candidates, he congratulated Adrian Adams on her victory last month and touted her qualifications to lead the council. Adams, who grew up in Queens and graduated from Spelman College, assumes leadership of the city council at a historic moment. As the 19th reported in December, a majority of the 51 councillors will be women for the first time in history. The council will also include its first Muslim member, as well as record number of Asian and LGBTQ councillors. Adams will thus lead the city's lawmaking body at a time when it looks more like the city it represents, with high expectations that diversity and leadership will lead to new ways of thinking about how to tackle New York's biggest challenges. Keechant Sewell, K-E-E-C-H-A-N-T-S-E-W-E-L-L. New York City Police Commissioner. When Keechan Sewell was sworn in on New Year's Day, she became the first woman to lead the New York City Police Department, as well as the only third Black person to lead the NYPD in its 176-year history. As CNN notes, women occupy only 3% of executive-level positions in police departments across the country though several large cities have chosen women to lead their police forces in recent years. The new NYPD commissioner 
who previously served as chief of detectives of the smaller Nassau County Police Department, was a surprise choice from the new mayor. As a local CBS News affiliate reports, Sewell, 49, grew up in the Queens Bridge houses before spending 25 years on the Nassau County Police Force. In an interview with CB2, Sewell touted her experience fighting guns and gangs in Nassau County and explained that she looks to implement similar policies in New York City. She also acknowledged that her approach, which includes the continued policing of nuisance crimes such as turnstile jumping or disorderly conduct, puts her at odds with prosecutors such as incoming Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg Jr., who has publicly stated that he wants to stop persecuting such petty crimes. Alvin Bragg Jr., B-R-A-G-G, New York County District Attorney. Speaking of Bragg, the incoming New York County District Attorney takes over the Manhattan Prosecutor's Office at one of the most important times in the office's history. Bragg replaces outgoing Manhattan Prosecutor Cyrus Vance Jr., who has spent the last several years investigating the business dealings of former President Donald Trump, who was for decades one of New York's richest business moguls. The district attorney's office is in the middle of pursuing a criminal case against the Trump organization and individuals within it, such as Chief Financial Officer Alan Weisberg. Alan Weisselberg. The DA's office has also obtained copies of Trump's tax returns after years of fighting with the former president's legal team over the release of these documents. Bragg, the first black DA in New York County's history, has pledged to pursue the case, which could potentially lead to a former president facing criminal charges for the first time in U.S. history, along with a separate investigation being conducted by the New York Attorney General Letitia James, Bragg's case may be the first to hold Trump legally accountable for his actions. But while Trump may be the most prominent issue for the new DA, the former president's case is far from Bragg's only focus. Bragg has pledged to fundamentally change the way prosecutions are handled in New York, vowing to shrink the system and stop putting people away for crimes of poverty. This mission stems from Bragg's upbringing in Harlem, in which he and his family experienced police harassment firsthand. Bragg now has a chance to be the type of change he and his community have sought for so long. Damian Williams, U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. Damian Williams' position on this list is a bit different than the others on the list. As U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Williams holds a federal position with a jurisdiction that includes Manhattan and the Bronx, as well as other parts of New York State. He was nominated for the role by President Joe Biden and confirmed by the Senate in October 2021. Williams, who started his law career as a clerk 
for now Attorney General Merrick Garland is the first black person to hold his position, which has been in the past been occupied by up and coming figures such as Rudy Giuliani and James Comey. Because William was confirmed in October, he has already been hard at work and he has recently won his first high profile victory in his current role. As Blavity previously reported, Williams successfully prosecuted British Ghislaine Maxwell for sex trafficking. Beyond the Maxwell case, Williams has announced an ambitious agenda for the U.S. Attorney's Office, including the recent creation of a civil rights unit to tackle white supremacy, anti-Semitism, and anti-Asian hate. He has also pledged to tackle gun and financial crimes as well. Williams and the other leaders have their work cut out for them as they seek to lead and serve America's most populated city in a time of unprecedented public health crisis, racial reckoning, and social change. Together, they bring a variety of experiences, perspectives, and goals to their offices. New Yorkers in general and the city's black communities in particular, will no doubt hold each of these officials to high standards as the city looks to its new leaders to make New York and its government work for all of the city's residents. This article is titled, Five Black Political Leaders Taking Over New York City in 2022 by Christopher Rhodes, Blavity News, January 3rd, 2022. The next article is titled New NASA Space Telescope is a Christmas gift to humanity, written by News One staff, December 25th, 2021. NASA gave the gift that will keep on giving for generations. Saturday marked the launch of the James Webb Space Telescope telescope, an event 25 years in the making. Merry Christmas, we got you a new telescope, tweeted NASA. The James Webb Space Telescope launched today, beginning a 1 million mile journey to see 13.5 billion years into the past. It has taken 25 years of planning and preparation for the James Webb Station Telescope to finally reach this moment. According to NASA, the revolutionary design of the telescope is constructed so that it will be able to detect past phases of cosmic history. The most powerful telescope ever launched, the Webb Space Telescope, will document the origins of the known universe and some of the most distant galaxies of its earlier iteration. The launch of the Webb Space Telescope is a pivotal moment. This is just the beginning for the Webb mission. Gregory L. Robinson, Webb's program director at NASA headquarters, said in a statement, Now we will watch Webb's highly anticipated and critical 29 days on the edge. When the spacecraft unfurls in space, Webb will undergo the most difficult and complex deployment sequence ever attempted in space. Once commissioning is complete, 
we will see awe-inspiring images that will capture our imagination. The launch captured the attention of even the youngest explorers. Young Ryan Serena was so captivated by the launch that she stopped opening her presents to watch the latest scientific exploration. Launched from the European Space Port in French Guiana, South America, the telescope is a partnership between NASA, the European Space Agency, and the Canadian Space Agency. Physicist, professor, and author Chanda Prescott Weinstein live tweeted the launch, noting the connections with her book, The Disordered Cosmos, A Journey Into Dark Matter, Space Time, and Dreams Deferred, published earlier this year. Director General of the European Space Agency, Joseph Ashbacher, A. Joseph Ashbacher, J-O-S-E-F-A-S-C-H-B-A-C-H-E-R, which was a major partner in hashtag JWST with NASA, says, This is a Christmas gift to humanity, tweeted Prescott Weinstein. I agree. See my book, hashtag Disordered Cosmos, that what just wonderful can do is amazing for humanity, if we let it. Some may wonder why a giant space telescope matters to Black people. But as this quote from Dr. May Jemison, J-E-M-I-S-O-N, reminds us that space exploration is part of who we are. When I'm asked about the relevance to Black people of what I do, I take that as a front to it. It presupposes that Black people have never been involved in exploring the heavens, but this is not so. Ancient African empires, Mali, Songhai, Egypt, had scientists, astronomers, Jemison said. The fact is that space and its resources belongs to all of us, not to any one group. This article is titled, New NASA Space Telescope is a Christmas Gift to Humanity, written by News One staff, December 25th, 2021. The next article is titled, AP Answers. Why are so many vaccinated people getting COVID-19 lately? By the Associated Press, January 5th, 2022. Why are so many vaccinated people getting COVID-19 lately? A couple of factors are at play, starting with the emergence of the highly contagious Omicron variant. Omicron is more likely to infect people, even if it doesn't make them very sick, and its surge coincided with the holiday travel season in many places. People might mistakenly think that the COVID-19 vaccines will completely block infection. But the shots are mainly designed to prevent severe illness, says Louis Mansky, M-A-N-S-K-Y, a virus researcher at the University of Minnesota. And the vaccines are still doing their job on that front, particularly for people who've gotten boosters. Two doses of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines or one dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is still offering strong protection against serious illness from Omicron, while those initial doses 
aren't very good at blocking Omicron infection, boosters, particularly with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, rev up levels of the antibodies to help fend off infection. Omicron appears to replicate much more efficiently than previous variants. And if infected people have high virus loads, there is a greater likelihood they'll pass it on to others, especially the unvaccinated. And if infected people have high virus loads, there's a greater likelihood they'll pass it on to others, especially the unvaccinated. Vaccinated people who get the virus are more likely to have mild symptoms, if any, since the shots trigger multiple defenses in your immune system, making it much more difficult for Omicron to slip past them all. Advice for staying safe hasn't changed. Doctors say to wear masks indoors, avoid crowds, and get vaccinated and boosted. Even though the shots won't always keep you from catching the virus, they'll make it much more likely you stay alive and out of the hospital. This article is titled, AP Answers, Why Are So Many Vaccinated People Getting COVID Lately? The next article is titled, Record Number of Americans Sign Up for ACA Health Insurance by Phil Gallowitz and Andy Miller Health Network, Community Voice, January 13th, 2022. A record 13.6 million Americans had already signed up for health coverage by 2022 on the Affordable Care Act marketplaces by mid-December, the Biden administration announced last month. Open enrollment for the marketplace began on November 1st and ends January 15th. The 13.6 million enrollment number includes people who used state-run marketplaces, in addition to those who enrolled through the federally-run healthcare.gov portal that handles signups for more than 30 states. The previous marketplace enrollment record was 12.7 million in 2016, the final year of President Barack Obama's administration. Enrollment largely stagnated under President Donald Trump, who cut tens of millions of dollars in funding for navigators who help people sign up for coverage. President Joe Biden's top health advisors credited the increased government subsidies, which lowered out-of-pocket costs for the surge in enrollment. They also said enhanced personal assistance and outreach helped connect more people to health insurance plans. The big driver behind the enrollment gains is the new discounts on premiums. As part of a COVID-19 relief bill passed this year, Congress increased the subsidies consumers receive when they enroll in health insurance via the marketplace. CMS said 92% of people in healthcare.gov states will get the tax credits for the 2022 coverage. Xavier Becada, Secretary of U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, said that for four in five enrollees, monthly premiums cost $10 or less, which he said is less than going to a movie. Moreover, 
More than 400 people will receive tax credits for 2022 coverage to date. That would have been inaccessible to them prior to the ARP. In addition, the federal government is using four times the number of navigators or insurance counselors to help people sign up for insurance. In non-expansion states, our outreach efforts have been so robust this year, in quotes, said Chiquita Brooks Lassure, L-A-S-U-R, administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Enrollment has jumped more in states that have not expanded Medicaid because they have more uninsured residents than expansion states. In expansion states, people with incomes from 100% to 138% of the federal poverty level, about 12,880 and 17,770 for an individual, can enroll in Medicaid. In states that haven't expanded the program, they can get subsidies to enroll in private plans through the Affordable Care Act marketplaces. Some people may have lost job-based coverage during the pandemic and are seeking insurance on their own. The marketplaces also offer consumers more choices than in previous years. The average consumer now has between six and seven insurers to choose from, up to up from four to five in 2021, federal officials said. This article was titled, Record Number of Americans Sign Up for ACA Health Insurance by Phil Galowitz and Andy Miller. Kaiser Health Network, January 13, 2022. The next article is a special from the University of Arkansas, Friday, January 14, titled Libraries Offer Resources on Civil Rights for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The university libraries invite you to celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. with related photographs, newspapers, books, and speeches. Resources are also available through the library's special collections, digital collections, and children's literature collection. Laura Cameron, education librarian, has created a research guide on anti-racism and social justice that includes lesson plans for K-12 teachers and relevant holdings from the children's literature collection. This article is titled, Libraries Offer Resources on Civil Rights for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, from the University of Kansas News, January 14, 2022. That's all the time we have for the African American Hour. My name is Rosemary Ankwe. Thanks for joining me.